right, it is great to see you tonight in a nice warm room, and uh, we may not be having warm rooms for, well, we get the heat, keep the heat on around here, but, you know, they say it can get a little bit cold, but that's just the weather, and it will do whatever it will do, but it's great to see you in here. Uh, my name is Bill Street, in case you didn't know that, and we are going to be talking about giving biblical answers in a broken world. Uh, I will tell you just as we get started, too, because uh, I may end up saying something about it somewhere along the way. Uh, when I came to Bellevue, I had pastored three churches and had been uh, over pastoral care at Gardendale with Steve uh, for about six years. And then I came here and was serving in biblical counseling and did that for about seven years in the midst of it all, I uh, uh, got a uh, doctor of ministry from Southern Seminary in biblical counseling. And part of the difference between a PhD and a DMIN is with a uh, PhD, you do this long, you know, 250 page, 300 page, whatever paper. With a DMIN, you still end up doing about 150, 175 page uh, uh, book, but then you also have to do a project. So my project was uh, provide, let's see, equipping life group leaders at equipping life group leaders at Bellevue Baptist Church to provide biblical counseling, and uh, so I did basically this. Now I'm not going to do what I did with them with you because it was a little bit more um, I don't know dull, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to keep you awake. But in case that comes out somewhere along the way, I just kind of wanted you to know. But most of you say, I really don't care. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we bless you this, uh, this evening, God, because you are, God, you are worthy to be praised. Lord, I say that, we say that, and say amen and confess it. And, and at the same time, Lord, know that saying it from the, the depths of our heart and our mind and our soul and with all of our being, Lord, we, we may understand one thousandth of one percent of who you are, of what you have saved us from, of what you have saved us to, of the price that has been paid, Lord, of the opportunities that are, that are ours, Lord, as long as we live upon this earth. And so, Lord, we pray tonight. God, I've, as I said, I've covered a lot of this material before, but, Lord, I know that means nothing. Lord, if I taught it every year for the past 15 years and had thousands of people coming, Lord, still, tonight, that would mean nothing. Lord, we need your presence. We need your power. We need your anointing. Lord, I pray that you would give me words to say and the spirit to say them in. Father, I pray that you will give us ears to hear. And Lord, right along with that, a heart to obey. Lord, we know that the gospel, we know that 
the good news of the gospel. And Lord, that's not just salvation. It is the whole aspect of who you are and what you have done in our lives. Lord, that came to us on the way to someone else. Lord, we live in a world that is dark and dying and decaying. Uh, God, we, we live uh, and work and serve around people uh, who need, Lord, what uh, you have to give. God, through your word, through your spirit, and Lord, through your people. So, Lord, I pray in a very, very, very real way. You will speak in a very personal way to each one of us tonight that we might be the people that you want us to be. We are glad that we are yours. Lord, minister in all the other classes. God, there's all kinds of stuff going on, uh, all kinds of rooms around here. Lord, minister um, in every classroom tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Again, thank you very much for being here. Uh, I want us to look tonight, and I think I've got it on your uh, uh, sheet, or you've got a handout about being a dynamic instrument of change. Uh, that handout should be on your, your table somewhere. Uh, and we live, in a, we live in a world that needs, that, that's just messed up. We live in a world that, that needs change, and it, it, there's sometimes that you can, it can be closer to you even than, than what you think. Um, not too long ago, I, I'm 68 years old, and so none of y'all didn't say you, didn't, you don't look that old, but you, you missed your chance. But anyway, some of you say you look a lot older than that. Um, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to say, yeah, that's what I was waiting for there. Um, looked older than that. But anyway, you know, you just get to that age and you start to, you know, and then you know people. And so as I was talking to Dr. Chu, I said, you know, Dr. Chu, how do you, you know, how do you know when folks are just kind of getting, you know, to, to an age to where they can't take care of themselves and, and they just, they, they need a little help? He said, it's, it's real simple here. Either I'll take you in here and I'll show you. And so he took me into a room they had in their uh, office, and it had a bathtub there. And so he turned the water on real quick, and we talked, and bathtub filled up a waste. He said, we just, there's a real test that we give them. He said, we fill the bathtub up, and then we give everybody a, uh, a thimble. We give them a cup, and we give them a, bu a bucket. And we say, would you empty the, um, the, the bathtub? I said, oh, that makes sense. You know, you, you wouldn't use this or this. You'd use the bucket. He said, no, you'd pull the plug. Would you like a bed near the window or would you like a bed near the door or, uh, or what? So uh, anyway, you know, we live in a world and, and there's all kinds of things like that. And there are people that are very sincere and have, they mean well. Uh, I came across this the other day that um, a person said, I dream of a, of a better tomorrow where chickens can cross the road and not have their motives questioned. You know, that, that's nice, but it's just a little shallow. That's not quite what, 
what we're looking for. We need something a little bit more meatier than that. Uh, well, take your Bible if you have one, and if you don't have a Bible, you probably have a phone. Uh, so for just a minute, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we are messed up people who live in a messed up world. And I probably say that quite often, but if we don't realize that, you know, we end up looking for neat people in a neat world, and that's not what we're going to find. That's not the world we live in. We live in a, a, a broken, messed up world with broken, messed up people. Uh, verse 1, getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city, and they brought him to a paralytic lying on a bed. There are crippled people uh, around us all over the place, and I don't mean physically. I mean there are people that are, are, are crippled spiritually. Um, I, was, I can remember when I was counseling, I served seven years in biblical counseling. And I was uh, counseling a couple, and we were going to talk about marriage, and I said, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd given them a Bible, and so the woman is just kind of looking through there, and the husband said, it's in the Old Testament. And I said, let's look at the one in the New Testament. You know, uh, it's very sincere, very sincere, just, you know, it just he didn't know what was going on. Uh, people that are crippled mentally. Uh, I can remember, again, talking to a couple. I'd seen them once. There was a real issue of forgiveness. There had been adultery um, in, the, in, in the marriage. I saw them once and gave them some homework. And then I said, when they came in the second time, I said, how did the homework go? And they said, well, we don't think we really have issues with that. Both of them had committed adultery. Both of them had said in the first session, we haven't forgiven one another, and, the, and what we have done comes up every time that we get into an argument. <laughs> but they didn't have, have issues with forgiveness. And I'm just going, we need to go over this again, okay? I mean, this is why you are here. Um, and so anyway. Uh, seeing their faith going on, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. Um, again, that they are accusing the Son of God of, of blaspheming. Uh, look down in verse 9 and 10. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to them, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus at, uh, and his disciples. Jesus surrounded himself with messed up people. And again, if we don't watch it, we're just going to say, I, and, and not realize how messed up we are. Do we really, do you, I, I will say and confess, I am messed up, Okay. I am 68 years old. I have read the Bible through, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 times. I have a master's of theology, a doctorate in biblical counseling. I have read a couple of thousand books, have memorized hundreds of verses of Scripture, and I struggle 
okay? I struggle to, to think and live and be what God wants me to think and do and be on a consistent basis. I got one amen. Thank you very much. Um, but we, that's, that's who we are, and that's the people that we are around. And there are two lies that we have to get over and ministering to people. Uh, they are too messed up. Number one, you're looking, they're just messed up bad. Uh, or God can't use me to help them. And both of those are lies. Now, what part of what I want to do or want us to see us do in here is to see you come to the place to where um, people that are messed up, people that come to you, and if you're leading a discipleship group, if you are leading a life group, if you're a person who's around Christians, if you're, and, and a lot of the stuff I'm going to say in here is not as much about sharing the gospel, okay? Uh, we need to share the gospel with anybody and everybody. Uh, we need to look for people. Now, part of what we'll talk about in counseling is leading people, being sensitive to are they a believer or not. Uh, the Bible says the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, and neither can he understand them because they're spiritually discerned. If you're talking to a lost person, it's, it's giving biblical light is just going to go over their head. So we need to, to be ready to share, them with the God, to share the gospel with them. But whether it's a discipleship group or a life group or um, whatever, people are going to come and talk to you, hopefully, about their problems. Now, I know that when I got saved, I got saved when I was 21, had a fraternity brother, led me to the Lord. Uh, he was, he'd just been saved about four or five month, months longer than me. And he was, he was almost as messed up as I was, just not quite, he was a little bit further down the road. And so when I'm coming, you know, with problems about, you know, uh, I guess I ought not to go to this bar and get drunk. Yeah, that's, that's true. You don't need to do that. Uh, who would I talk to about those kind of things but him? And so because he was a little bit further down the road than me, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know the answers and uh, so I'm talking to him. Well, I found out that what happened after I'd been saved, saved six, nine months, a year, whatever it is down the road, all of a sudden there are people coming to me that are asking me, hey, have you ever thought about how's the best way or how do I deal with uh, such and such? Or if it's not as much even a question, they're talking about the anxiety, the fear, the discouragement, addictions, all of those types in, in, uh, of things that are there. And so it was just, do I just ignore this or, or do I walk into it? Um, I will tell you, if you have problems with your computer and if you come to me and say, what do I do? You turn it off and then you turn it back on. You know, that's all I know. Uh, and if you need more help, Noah, Vera can get in touch with Noah, uh, maybe, and, and, and get you the help that you need. But she's real good at figuring those things out, too. Um, and I think a lot of times we are like that with people. 
to where they don't need me. They need a counselor. They need a psychologist. Or I can send them down to Terry and all of the people in biblical counseling. And thank God for Terry and Jamie and all of the folks in biblical counseling. But this is what the Word of God says. And it's on your outline, and now we'll start to jump in a little bit more. Romans 15, 14. Paul writes, and he says, For I am convinced, for, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself, I mean, he is really emphatic here, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and are able to admonish really counsel, we'll look at that word in a minute too, you're able to admonish or counsel one another. So what does that mean? It means that at least initially, God doesn't want you sending them to somebody else. He wants you to walk into their lives. Because for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. When did we get psychology, Terry? Probably back a little bit before Freud or whatever, 18, 1800s or whatever. You know, up until then, the church was where people went when they had problems. Um, sometimes the church didn't do real, real well with that. Sometimes they did. But that's been God's standard. That's been God's way. This is what God says here. Paul says, writing to these simple Roman believers who none of them had a degree in anything, um, I am convinced, I myself am convinced that you, yourselves, that you are able to counsel, to admonish um, these people. So let's look at this real quick. And, wh and what we're going to do tonight we're not going to get into all the good stuff tonight, okay? Because I know you've got all kinds of questions. Maybe we'll kind of dabble into it in just a moment. But I want to try to lay a foundation uh, tonight that, uh, that, that really says this is biblical. It's what God wants us to do. Excuse me. It's what God wants you to do. And, and grasping that and kind of seeing where it fits into the whole biblical uh, uh, mandate that you'll uh, embrace that, and then we can start to build on that some more as we are, um, as we are going along. Uh, familiar words, I can't remember, Matthew, are we starting out uh, on Matthew, Matthew 28? Uh, familiar words, Jesus said, Go therefore into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything that I uh, have commanded you. And, and he's talking about discipleship. It's part of our mission frame. We love God, love people, uh, uh, love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. People need to grow to become like that. It's the whole business of the church. That's what we are about, is helping people to, to be saved and then mature. Uh, Steve has said so well, we are, we're, we're, I think he said we're good. I would say we're pretty good. We're okay. Uh, about 
what is it you call people being born? Obstetrics? Is that right? Um, sounds good. You didn't correct me, so we'll go with there. Uh, but not very good at pediatrics. And then moving on from there and helping people to grow and mature. We come to church and we nod and maybe take notes, but really embracing the things and experiencing the change that God wants us to do is a huge challenge for us. Uh, E.M. Bounds made this statement, men keep looking for better methods and God keeps looking for better men. Discipleship doesn't occur accidentally any more than maturity happens, uh, than maturity in a child happens accidentally. Children must be trained. People must be discipled. Uh, And again, what happens we're, we're in, a, in a worship service, and Steve is preaching on the fruit of the Spirit or whatever, and we nod our head, and we, we've got that information, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, uh, got that. And maybe we're in a life group class where it's going over, and we're talking about that some, and maybe, maybe we even are memorizing that. But there's a world of difference between, not, between what we know and how we live. And a lot of that is only going to happen in those small groups of, ooh, you know, some accountability, sharpening, being honest, uh, asking questions, uh, more than just kind of sitting and, and soaking. It's easy. We can talk even about counseling and all this kind of stuff in here. But what's really taking place in your heart? What's really going on? What are you going to do with it? That's going to happen much more in that smaller, uh, that smaller group. This process described and modeled by Jesus is biblical discipleship. The word disciple and its derivatives are used 270 times in the Gospels and Acts. The call of Jesus is the call to discipleship. The test of commitment to his teaching is discipleship. However, the word disciple is not used after the book of Acts. I can remember the first time I discovered that. I went, I can, you know, looking it up in a, in a, in a, uh, uh, concordance. concordance. Thank you very much. Uh, really, it was on a computer, so it's not that thick green concordance. That I have. But anyway, looking it up, I got disciple, and I went, okay, I'm looking through the, the Acts and, and, and the epistles, and I'm going, Where's discipleship? Uh, It's not there. You won't find the word disciple or discipleship after the book of Acts. You will not find the the word disciple or discipleship in the epistles. In the epistles, bringing people to maturity or Christ-likeness is described as equipping, teaching, warning, urging, admonishing or counseling. I was trying to remember how many blanks I had up there. Um, The mandates of discipleship and the whole thing about counseling one another are they go hand in hand. Great quote by John MacArthur. It should be apparent that biblical counseling is actually a part of discipleship. Counseling is not the distinct entity the, uh, the world and many Christians make it. In fact, much of what 
one would say about discipleship could be said equally about counseling. So what am I saying in all that? God wants to bring people to maturity, okay? We get saved, we come into the church, um, and then as all of that's going on, there needs to be a, for lack of a better word, a formal process uh, of discipleship. I'm going to say more about an informal thing, but a formal process of that to where uh, somebody with a little bit maybe more maturity or somebody said, hey, I don't know if I am, but uh, I'll lead us, okay? we got to figure out where we're going, but uh, we're going to do this thing together is, is, is helping people mature. But then the informal process of discipleship is where if I'm sitting there talking with Ron Smith after the service is over or tonight or whatever, and, and we get to talking about a situation or whatever that, that I am able to speak truth into his life uh, as he speaks truth into mine. The whole thing about counseling, um, you know, Steve and I have been accountability partners for, oh, I don't know, decades, 30-something years, and we counsel one another. He'd be the first to say that. There, there are times that he'll come and say, hey, can you come over here? I need to talk to you. And it's not that I got in trouble or did something, although I guess I've done that too, uh, as much as uh, needing, okay, he knows the verses, you know? I, I, and I, as I say this, I'm not bragging on myself, but I'm just trying to, to, to set the point. I, I've got chapters of the Bible memorized. I've got hundreds of verses memorized. I know the verses. But there are times that we need more than just the verse. We need somebody that's going to help us work through that process, um, you know, of what do I need to do? How do I handle this? And that's what we need to be doing with others, walking them through that process, whether it's the, 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 the man or woman who's been saved for uh, a week or two and they just come off the street and they got 17 addictions and 28 demons, uh, or it's the guy that's been saved for 20 or 25 years that is in a process of, of, of working through something that, um, that he needs more than himself. And, and, and some of that is um, very formal and, and some of it is, is informal. Uh, let's look at two passages or two areas that demonstrate the truth that discipleship and counseling are identical. And again, you know, I keep kind of coming back to the discipleship thing because you can't get away from that mandate. The Great Commission is go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, bringing these people to maturity and Christ-likeness and then teaching them to, to, to uh, obey all that I've commanded you, which means you're making disciples and those are going out and making other disciples and interwoven is the realization that discipleship and counseling are brothers. They are related. So when somebody comes to you and they bring up a problem in your group uh, or your business or whatever it may be, it's not something you run from. It's something that you run towards. 
as much as you would if somebody is lost and they have said something that is going to maybe give you an opportunity to weave the gospel in there. Um, that type of a thing. First of all is the goal of ministry. Uh, the, the, we have saw what the Lord said about the Great Commission. Um, so we, we see that, that it is to bring people to maturity, that a, a maturity that will help bring others to maturity. But look at what Paul says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him, talking about Jesus, and proclaim doesn't just mean you get up in a pulpit. It means you're talking about. Uh, we talk about Jesus admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Paul is basically saying that the purpose of his life is to present every man complete, mature, fully grown in Christ. And so how does that happen? It happens as he is sharing, teaching, sharing, uh, admonishing. And we'll look... We'll look uh, I tell you what, let's, let's just stop. Let's go over to that last part. I keep talking about admonishing, so we're just going to take just a moment to, uh, to look at that. It's really number five uh, at the, towards the end where they are committed to God's purpose. They are to admonish one another. It's the whole heart of counseling. When I say counseling, I'm not talking ink blots, but ink on the page of the Word of God. Okay, that, that's what we're talking about. You are able to admonish one another. Uh, look, uh, W.E. Vines it defines admonish as putting into someone's mind. Uh, again, when you see it in the New Testament, it's translated teaching, admonishing, uh, counseling. You say, well, what is it? What is, which one is it? It's all of the words. It is that you are trying to to communicate and to lay hold of. That's what this word nutheo, it's the Greek word nutheo, um, or nuthesis, a putting into mind. Uh, Nutheseia uh, is training by word, whether of encouragement or, if necessary, by, by reproof, by correcting someone. James Swanson explains admonishing as instructing, teaching on proper behavior and belief. Admonish, a rebuke for a wrong done. It is warning, advising on the consequence of a wrong action. And it's, all, it's easy to see that and just to see all kinds of formal stuff. But it's not, you know? Is if, if I'm talking to Ed, and so if I know your name in here, then you're going, oh, no, he's going to pick on me. Uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to Ed, I don't know, Ed, what could we be talking about? And Ed, you know, is talking about some situation about, um, what's the situation, Ed? you got a problem I need to talk to you about. It, Do what? 
Or how about this? Ed is saying, you know, I got some guy. Okay. I got some guys in my group and bless their hearts, you know. Man, I don't know if I've ever had, you know, as needy of a group. Uh, these, these guys, it just seem like they're all, you know, just really messed up. That's an opportunity for me to counsel. That's an opportunity for me to admonish. Teaching, encouraging, warning. Uh, it's to come alongside and to speak into it. I know, boy, that can just, uh, I know when I was in counseling, you can talk to people and man, they just, you go home and you're just worn out. But Ed, I think you and I both realize, you know, boy, we are living in a world that, um, you know, it, it's, it's more messed up than it ever has been. And, um, you know, you're on the front lines. As you are doing this right here, as you're working with these men, you are probably more on the front lines of what we are trying to do as a church than anybody. You're on the, you're on the front lines as much or more than the pastor is right now. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to be praying for you. And, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of warning that's going on with that. Um, but um, it's, it's coming alongside and, and, and speaking those words of truth. Now, when, if somebody else is coming along and there's a, you know, there's a, um, a problem, well, let, let me just say this. And I wanted you to, to catch a glimpse of what, when I'm, when I'm saying admonishing, it is, it is speaking that truth into someone's heart and into someone's mind. Um, second area that we see this relationship between discipling and counseling is the Word of God. John 8.31 says, If you continue in my word, then are you truly disciples of mine, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So we see in the Gospels, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, I want you to mature, okay? And that's going to happen as the word of God is living in you, and you are going along the way, and you are, uh, and as you do that, you will find freedom. Paul states in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Just like Jesus, let the word of God abide in you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart unto the Lord. In other words, part of what we are supposed to do is to encourage people to get in the Word of God, to get the Word of God in them, uh, and to realize there's no other, there's not a shortcut. You know, there's not a, there's not a shortcut from that. Part of the problem of counseling in the 21st century is a twisted, unbiblical perspective that we think of counseling, and we think of what? When you think of, apart from what you have maybe heard in here tonight, when you think of, well, I'm going to, I'm going to somebody for counseling, what do you think of? Do what? Lay on the couch. <laughs> you think of Bob Newhart, huh? <laughs> uh, what else? Do what? Okay. Okay. What else do you want? 
Words of wisdom. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Uh, but we think of a professional, you know? And that is, that is part of what we've missed. MacArthur made another statement. He said, ever since apostolic times, counseling has occurred in the church as a natural function of spiritual life. And again, I know I'm, especially on this first time, keep repeating that because that's you. If you're in leadership, if you are in relationship with people, uh, and, and, you know, unless you're, just, unless you're just hanging around neat people, unless you're just hanging around, you know, people that, you know, have been saved for 25, 30 years, and, you know, their biggest sin is gluttony, you know, that's, you know, that, that's a sin. But anyway, uh, you know, four years ago they said darn uh, or whatever, you know, it's, it's that type of, of thing. If you're just hanging around those type of people, then that's one thing. But if you're trying to minister to people and you're saying, Lord, use me in the lives of others, then you're going to come across people that are, are messed up and it's our responsibility to run into them. Let's look at the characteristics of a dynamic counselor. Number one, and this is in from Romans uh, 15, uh, 4. Number one, they are common, ordinary believers Paul says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves, that you can do this. David Sitton and I were both saved. I was saved at Broadway. You were saved at Broadway too, weren't you? And, um, and we learned just as a new Christian that one of the things that you do is you go out and share Jesus. Now, <laughs> I... Vera gave me a name of somebody to call the other day, and they had been a death in the family. And I looked at the lady, and she was 72 years old. And so I thought, bless her heart, 72 years old. She's getting on up uh, in years. And so when I called her up as the phone is ringing, I'm thinking, okay, I need to say, I'll call her. I don't know who her name was. You know, Mrs. Jones. Well, all of a sudden, I realized Mrs. Jones is four years older than me, okay? You know? And maybe I call her Mrs. Jones, but, you know, my parents instilled in me uh, as a child growing up, you say yes, sir, no, sir, uh, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to your elders. Well, my elders are now in their 70s, but they're three years older than me. So how does that work? I don't know. But how we were brought up as young Christians, where you get saved and you go out and you share Jesus with people. I and mean, we would go out on church visitation, and the goal on church visitation for us was not to invite them to church. The goal was to what? You don't to win them to Christ. That was, you know, that's what we were hoping to see. And so I would just tell you, I mean, that was just, it's just what you did, you know? It didn't, I didn't know any different. And then, you know, I've been saved a bunch of years, and you get down the road, and you realize, that's not what all believers do. And that's just kind of, well, okay. Um, and I, want, I, I am not the sole winner that I need to be. I, I will tell you that in a, in a heartbeat. But I will tell you, boy, I'm, I'm bent that way, and I am prone, and I'm looking for an opportunity. Is there an opportunity to get the gospel in here, to say something, and then to, to steer that conversation to spiritual things? And it's not because I'm some spiritual person. 
It's just kind of the way that my Christian life was formed. And I will tell you that, that, that sharing the gospel, I will tell you, I've, I know I've led hundreds of people to the Lord. How many hundreds? I don't know. Wow, that really takes a lot of knowledge. No, I've got three verses. You know, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And probably Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. You know, I mean, occasionally something else gets woven in there, but that's it. Biblical counseling is almost that simple, okay? It is not the brain surgery that we make it out to be. Uh, Part of it is just kind of knowing, okay, what's the goal? How do we get there? What do we point them to? Um, And and again, it's kind of like witnessing. And if you've never really shared Christ with me, people, you got a thousand questions that are coming to mind. What if this? What if that? What if... um, when it's really not that complicated. And and then the same thing about counseling. It's not that complicated. You can do it. You can be this person. That's when Paul said, I am convinced, you yourselves, you are able to do this. Um, You just have challenges. You just got to get out of the boat and get out on the water and be willing to walk into some situations. Uh, The second characteristic of a dynamic biblical counselor, and that's you, is that they are spiritually mature. They are full of goodness. Goodness is the Greek word agasagathosune, which you don't care about. Goodness is an interesting word. To the Greek, something was good if it was doing what, uh, what it was made to do. Um, and Robert Brown, if he were at a Mississippi State ball game and there is noise that is going on, and if you were there and it might be giving you a headache, Robert might say, did I say Robert Brown or Robert Moore? Uh, I meant to say Robert Moore. Robert Moore would take, yeah, you might take, you might take that cowbell that is making, making ear-splitting noise. He's a Mississippi State fan. And uh, say, this is a good one right here. Do you ring the cowbells? I do not. You do I not? <laughs> but you would still know whether it's a good cowbell or not. <laughs> anyway, so much for that. Uh, something is good if it, was, if, it's, if it was doing what it was made to do. A field was good if it produced rich, uh, rich crops. A saw was good if it cut wood. A stove was good if it produced a, uh, a, a consistent heat. And what we have been called to is Christ-likeness. Now, we're not getting, we're not going to, we never get there. But are we on the road to that? Um, One of the things about counseling, and I know Terry has experienced this, is that people will come in and just pour out their guts about their life, marriage, situation. They, don't, they didn't know me. I served there for seven years. They don't know you. Some guy named Terry, what's his last name? I, I, I don't know. And uh, but anyway, they just come in to see you, and, and they're talking. 
This whole thing about goodness is huge. Why? Because we're talking about people that you know and they know you. And so we're talking about the people that, you know, that you work with. We're talking about your neighbors. We're talking about your friends. We're talking about the people in your life group. We're talking about discipleship group, your Bible study group, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, none of us are, are what, we, what we ought to be. I'm not, Steve's not, you're not. None of us are what all that, that we ought to be. But if somebody is around us for a while and, and they see how we live and the way that we treat people and, and the way that, you know, and I realize when you get in the workplace, sometimes you can't do all of this, but, you know, times if you're there, you know, how, how, you, how you pray for people and, and they listen to you and they know he's talked to God before. She has talked to God. She, I can tell she talks with God more than I do. Um, and those types of things, you are already in a huge position of a win because they know you. And they see the goodness of God. They see Christ's likeness in you. And if they don't, you know, then that's something you need to repent of. And in all, in all seriousness, get that right. If you, if you think, okay, I got somebody that I work with, and, you know, I know they got all kinds of problems, and, uh, you know, but they're not going to come to me for, you know, to help them to, with their marriage problem or whatever. Why? Because, you know, um, two years ago, I got mad and said something to them and blew off. What's the matter? You're just incompetent. And, you know, whatever another. And you realize... And they got a wall here. Something like that, you've got to go back and just say, hey, you know, God's convicted me of something. I realized several years ago, or I just have come to the realization, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, I, I haven't really been um, uh, exhibiting what a Christian ought to be like. And I just want you to know that I've, you know, recommitted my life to Christ, or I've asked God to forgive me, and I'm asking him to um, help me to, to live closer to Christ. Whatever it is, all kinds of things, but it's clearing something up. It, it is removing something that is keeping you from relating and being able to minister to people. Uh, but other than that, you are just there, and uh, you, you are in a great position. Number three, they are controlled by God's word. They are filled with knowledge. Uh, it's not about having a bunch of degrees. It's not about having hundreds of verses memorized. It's not about, you know, having read thousands of books. It's just somebody that walks with, somebody who gets with God on a consistent basis and hears from God. Now, you know, part of the thing is, I mean, you know, I'm 68 years old. I've been doing this for a long, long time. And so stuff adds up. You may say, I'm not 68 years old. Well, you go spending, you know, an extra 15 minutes a day. What is 15 minutes a day times six? Those of you who are good with math. 90 minutes It's an hour and a half. Is that right? That's an hour and a half. You do that 50 weeks out of the year. What's that? That's uh, um, 50. That's, that's uh, 75 hours, something like that. 
Um, you know, that, I mean, I'm just kind of pulling numbers out of the air. Just you spending a little bit more time being a little bit more focused and, and just getting God's word. Oh, and it's just, it's what God would do in your heart and life from his word, from the overflow that you get to share with people. I was reading a couple of days ago, Genesis 17, verse 16, and uh, God's made a promise to Abraham, hey, you and Sarah uh, are going to have a child, and uh, Abraham laughs. <laughs> uh, Sarah laughed also, but I think Sarah's laugh was, <laughs> uh, hers was one of, I think, uh, because God kind of, you know, chided her a little bit, uh, but with Abraham, his laughter was one of, of amazement and one of anticipation, you know, of, of, of doing that. And as I'm reading that and just thinking, the Lord said, how do you wake up in the morning and how do you, what is your attitude when you get out of bed? Is it one of, maybe not necessarily chuckling, but laughter and anticipation of what God is going to do based upon the promises of God's word and the promises that he has really just brought off the page and into my heart. Do you do that? Or do you get up in the morning with more of a dread going, oh, i got to deal with this today. And to be honest, I've got more dread than what I ought to, okay? So, but since then, that has been just a huge realization. And for me to share, as I'm talking with people, I've shared that with two or three people around here. I, I shared it with one guy, and he asked me this morning. He came in, how's your laughter? I went, how's my laughter? He said, are you laughing and are you anticipating? I said, I'm anticipating, but I forgot about the laughter. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, as you're in God's word and just God is speaking, you get to share what God is doing. Part of what it is also is just through being committed, through being a little bit, through being sensitive. God will give you a greater sensitivity. A lot of people are telling people, a lot of people are sincere. There are Christians that are sincere but are telling people the wrong things. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote from a Christian book that has sold over a million copies. Uh, I can assure you it was in Baptist bookstore, Lifeway, uh, for ages and ages and ages. Uh, I won't even tell you what the book is. I have not checked to see if it's in our bookstore or not. But anyway, um, this is what it is. It's what, what this person says. Sexual problems for men have emerged as a major issue. Such problems as compulsive masturbation, compulsive heterosexual, homo, heterosexual or homosexual relationships, pornography, prostitution, exhibitionism, or voyeurism, and he goes on and talks about them. Now, let me just say that one more time. I'll just read it. Sexual problems for men have his merge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Such problems as, on and on and on and on. Now, did you hear anything? Did you hear anything? Did you hear a word that you thought, I don't know if that's the right word. 
you get to speak up if you do. Those aren't problems. Those are sins. That's a Christian book. Um, over a million copies in Christian bookstores. All of that stuff is not a problem. All of that stuff is sin. If you treat it as a problem instead of as a sin, boy, you have totally changed it. And in many ways, not all the ways, you have taken God out of the situation. And that's just one word, minor little shift there. Uh, but that's part of what we do in counseling. Now, I had a man that came in to see me uh, years ago, and he said, um, um, you know, as, as we began to talk, I, we prayed, and I said, how can I help you? Uh, and he said, I have borderline personality disorder, and my insurance has run out. Can you help me with that? And I said, I can you say, why did you say you can? Because the Bible says in 1 Peter, no, 2 Peter, that uh, God has, through his divine power, given unto us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And I knew that through the word of God, the spirit of God, I could help him. So I said, yes. But then I asked him, I said, what do, what do you mean? trying to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove because I didn't have a clue what borderline personality disorder meant. I didn't, I didn't have a clue. But I said, what do you mean by borderline personality disorder? And so he went into a part, some about how he was brought up and, and just dysfunction and his personality wasn't well formed and that it has caused him. I said, now what, what is the the greatest problem with this, I don't know if exactly how I said it, or maybe it's what he said. And then I have these outbursts of anger. Very words he said, I have outbursts of anger. And I said, well, I hear what you're saying. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I got him to turn there. What might I have been turning to, getting him to turn to in Galatians chapter 5? Not the fruit of the Spirit, but the what? Works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, which are, go on down the list of those, and one of them was outburst of anger. I talked to him about his relationship with the Lord. He gave a very good testimony. I said, I'm not totally ignoring what your psychologist has said at this point in time. Um, I didn't say that. Uh, but I said, one of the things that we need to, that you need to determine is, do you have a psychological sickness or do you have a sin problem? And we, I won't go into all the details, but anyway, over a period of time, he realized I have a sin problem, and if I have a sin problem, I can repent, I can confess uh, through God's Word, His Spirit, and all those kind of things, um, and, um, and He is a changed man today.
Can't, I won't tell you who he is, but he is a changed man, and God has done an awesome, awesome work um, in his life. Uh, number four, let me go through this real quickly. They have a spiritual... Oh, let me, let me do that other slide. Uh, go back one slide, Vera. This is so good. Um, many Christians don't understand what the Bible is. Many think of it as a spiritual encyclopedia, God's complete catalog of human problems, coupled with a complete list of divine answers. If you turn to the right page, you can find answers for any struggle. But a truly effective ministry of the Word must confront our self-focus and self-absorption at its roots, opening up the vastness of a God-defined, God-centered world. Unless this happens, we will use the promises, principles, and command of the Word to serve the thing we really love ourselves. Um, it's not just about finding that right verse. Say, oh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's helping people to realize, and, and I would tell people all the time in, in marriage counseling, and part of what we'll get into along the way is we're kind of getting a foundation. You know, we'll be talking about fear and discouragement and marriage. And, you know, what about somebody who tells you they have borderline personality disorder or somebody who tells you, hang on, I had a list here um, of, of some of them. I should have marked there were a couple of them that um, um, acute stress disorder, um, binge eating disorder. I have binge eating disorder. You're a glutton is what you are. Um, uh, borderline personality disorder, um, uh, intermittent explosive disorder. I can't help getting mad, okay? I can't help knocking holes in the wall. I have intermittent explosive disorder. And all of these are psychological terms where people, what do you do with those when people come to you and they tell you that you have one of those? What do you, what do, you do with that? I don't know. It's a psychologist. It's, a, you know, they, they're a doctor. You know, who am I? You're a child of God that has the answers. Um, oh, people would come and, and the whole marriage thing, and I, one of the things I would tell them whether it's the first time, second time, or whatever, another, I would say, ma'am, your husband is really not the issue for you. And I'd say, sir, your wife is really not the issue. I tell both sides, for both of you, the issue is Jesus. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about what he's doing, and we're going to talk about what she's doing. But the real answer here, the issue is Jesus as a believer. Are you going to live as Jesus wants you to, or are you not? Now, I hear what you're saying, and I know why you're here, and it's painful and hard and wretched and miserable, and yeah, he's being a jerk, uh, but he's not really the issue. Helping people have a Godward reality of what it is. Uh, number four, they have a spiritual ability. They have a dynamic. They are able also uh, to do this. You can do this. I mean, this is, again, it is just the power of God. As you are in the Word of God, as you're being who God wants you to be, that God, through His Word, through a little bit of training, a little bit of reading, a little bit of thinking, equips you 
to flow through and to, uh, to do things that are just amazing. Now, one of the best things we did in, in the seven years I was there, and I imagine y'all probably still do it, Terry, uh, is pray every morning uh, because people would come in. We didn't have a clue what people were coming in with. We didn't have a clue. But I cannot tell you how exciting it was to see. I, I would have people come in for, for, for counseling, and I would give them answers, and I would just smile as I was doing it because I said, this is really good. And I've never had this thought before in my life, you know, because I just know that God would give wisdom. God would... I would say things, and I'm just going, okay, I know, you know, this is not like Scripture being written down, but I'm saying some really good things, and I know it's not Bill Street. That's not his wisdom. This is the wisdom that God gives. But God's not going to give you that wisdom now. You don't need it. You're not going to need that until you get out there with them. And I'll just tell you this, and I'll close. And again, next time, um, it's 7.30, so we'll get you out of here on time. Um, I'll, I'll say, we'll get into more stuff, okay? We'll get into the, a lot of the things that you have come in here to, to, uh, to hear about. After I finished up in biblical counseling, uh, and I'm now overseeing evangelism, discipleship, and prayer, which is really, 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 really busy, really, really busy, um, and I don't have time to really do much counseling. Um, but as I'd been doing that, somehow or another, somebody came. It was a, a, a couple that uh, I ended up counseling. And boy, it was a bad situation. The fussing and fighting and, you know, so bad that sometimes one would leave or the other one would leave. And they had a child that was just... You know, uh, as, as, as much of a hellion, I don't even know if that's a word, um, as, as a child could be. I mean, like getting arrested, bad, bad, bad stuff. Um, I don't know if I called you about it or not. Maybe I did. Um, but over a period of time, as we continue to counsel, and walk through things. And, you know, we take two steps forward and a step back and step forward and four steps back. And it's not neat and it's not always easy. And there are times you say, okay, Lord, you know, give us help. On down the road, a year, year and a half later, um, God had brought about an awesome change uh, in their life. We ended up uh, going out on um, uh, share Jesus visits. I can't remember if it was Easter or whatever it was. Uh, went out with uh, the family. And um, we caught four people at home, which if you've been out on those visits, that don't always... I'm sorry, we didn't catch four people at home. We had four in-depth conversations uh, with people. Um, and I told them, I said, well, this is a little un unusual, and thank God for that. Found out later that that boy who was just as bad as could possibly be had fasted three days uh, before we went out. Fasted for three days. Fasted for three days before we went out that God would give us awesome visits. 
Um, went on down the road a couple of more months or whatever and saw the father and said, hey, how are things going? He said, it's going good. He said, my only problem is trying to keep up with my son. I said, in what ways? He said, he just came off a seven-day water fast, and um, he's just going great guns for God. Um, and I had a part to play in that, in a stumbling, bumbling, you know, trying to give some wisdom and guidance and direction. And I look at it now, and I just go, that is awesome, God. But part of it was because, by the grace of God, I was willing to walk into it. And I go, oh, good night. Y'all are hopeless. Um, willing to walk into it. David ran to the battle. He was surrounded by people, Goliath there, threatening everybody. Um, nobody else wanted anything to do with it. They're just there watching. David ran to the battle. God has put us around people and brought people into our lives. And we can just kind of ignore that they're there or run from it. Or we can say, God, by your grace and through your power alone, I'm going to go into the battle totally dependent upon you. And when you do, you'll find out it will be some of the greatest experiences of your life. Amen? Amen. Amen.